0: Welcome to Politics Weekly. I'm your host, Nolan Cleary. Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. This week, Omar Yacobi and I discuss the 2018 election results and the Democratic takeover of the House. We'll also discuss SNL coming under controversy for mocking a U.S. veteran who lost an eye. Jeff Sessions' resignation as Attorney General, and more. Okay, it finally works. Yes. All right. You ready? I am. All right. Welcome to Politics Weekly. This is the post-Election Day special. Uh, we might get to some news. I don't know if we'll get to it, but if we do, we'll do that after we talk about the elections. I don't know much, how much time we're going to have. But um, first, I know this is completely unrelated, um, but uh, Stan Lee died. Oh, wow. You didn't hear about that? I didn't, no. Yeah. Stanley sadly died uh about an hour ago. They the creator of Spider-Man and uh Fantastic Four and X-Men and Avengers and Daredevil and what and whatnot. Yeah. Um so I just wanted to let get that out there. But uh now I think let's talk about uh some of the midterms. So the midterms uh on to, uh this past Tuesday uh were very interesting to say the least. Uh yes. Democrats uh, gained enough seats in the house to take back a majority. Meanwhile, Republicans are now on track on track to make gains in the United States Senate. Uh so now some people have been trying to paint it as a blue wave. Some people have been trying to say <laughs> no 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 no, it's not a blue wave. Uh if you watch generally if you watch CNN or msnbc they'll say oh it's a blue wave it's a blue wave but if you watch a conservative outlet like breitbart or fox news whatever they'll say oh nah it wasn't a blue wave it was a blue puddle at best now i I believe you're a democratic voter i don't know if you're registered democrat um but personally uh what did you what,
1: what, what did you think was it a blue wave in your mind Uh, Well, uh, more than in my mind, I would encourage you to look at history, because any time we've had a shift in power this large, I I think this is the first time we've heard any media outlet say that or compare it to a puddle. (laughs) That's quite the understatement. Uh, We're talking about 40 seats that changed hands. We're talking about 11 to 14 million more voters who chose Democrats over Republicans nationwide. Um, It's a pretty clear margin. I mean, you can say they didn't take both houses of Congress. I think that's fair. Um, but, you know, th- that's because the Senate, rather than being based on the popular vote, is an aspect of our federalist system, and it represents states instead of people. And that's where Democrats are at a disadvantage right now. Mm.
0: Why do you think, um, now there were a couple of seats that flipped in, uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Senate. Why do you think, in, in favor of the Republicans, why do you think that is?
1: Uh, it, it's, so the, the divide that's been emerging, I've been following this from various news sources, uh, conservative and liberal. They're saying that there is a stark uh, income, geographic, and educational divide between these Americans. Uh, the geographic divide is urban versus rural. Uh, we're talking about people who have college degrees versus not having college degrees. Uh, and that seems to be the division that Trump is stoking uh, to help solidify his base and get his candidates elected at least half the time half of them did lose (laughs) but uh yeah it worked for the senate Mm. um now do you think kavanaugh had anything to do with the u.s senate i think that would be one of the farthest things back of the voters minds i don't think they pay attention to the everyday back and forth and squabbles like that Uh, i know for evangelical voters it was a big motivating factor and it might have increased turnout there uh, but the evangelicals are not the majority. Uh, Trump's people turned out this time. They just weren't enough to overcome uh, the popular support for Democrats. Because hmm. the, re- the reason I
0: asked that is because the Democrats that lost... Now, to go over a few of the Senate results, uh, in Missouri, uh, Josh Hawley, the Republican, defeated the incumbent, Claire McCaskill. In North uh-huh. Dakota, not much of a shock. Heidi Heitkamp, the incumbent, was taken down by Kevin Kramer. Um... And then, I believe, in Indiana, Mike Braun uh, took down the incumbent Democrat Joe Donnelly. Uh, uh-huh. So, in all three of those senators voted no on Brett Kavanaugh. Do you think – now, one of the theories some people have been trying to make is that uh, Republicans were able to essentially mobilize their voters by trying to say to staunch conservatives, they were trying to say, oh, hey – Look at this guy, this really conservative guy. You know, they treated him badly. They uh-huh. made it look like he sexually assaulted them, or that he sexually assaulted them, or he he they ruined his life. Not saying they did, but that's that's the illusion that they're trying to make, or that's what they're trying to say is is, is that his life was ruined by them as a smear tactic. And the, the theory is is that they were able to get them more energized because they were like. The Democrats did this horrible thing to Brett Kavanaugh in my mind. Therefore, I should go out and, uh, and vote for the Republican and kind I, of help the Republicans because of that. I,
1: I don't think that's the main motivating factor for voters. I think for people who follow politics closely, that's kind of the red meat. Uh, but I, I think for the average voter, uh, there's that old phrase from the 90s. It's the economy, stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah. We have a roaring economy right now and things are doing really well. Uh, but then we also have um, people's pocketbooks haven't really felt the impact of that yet. Uh, yeah. And so I, I think as long as there's that kind of economic suffering, I think the message of fear, hatred and division that Trump is peddling is going to resonate because these people are suffering and they need someone to blame. And I, I really think mm-hmm. that's the, the kind of political wave, if you will, that's kind of driving our debate right now. Oh. Uh, Cause right. I, I just, I don't see Kavanaugh come up a lot when I'm talking to average people about the country and where it's at. Um, yeah. and a it, it, huge impact on people's day to day lives, at least not until they ban abortion. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, it's it, it, I'm sure it was a motivating factor for a class of voters. I just don't think it was like the overriding concern in this big rural educational geographic divide we have going on.
0: Mm. Now, in Kansas, in an upset, the Democrat won. Laura Kelly defeated Chris Kobach. Oh, that's good news. Now, Kansas – sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just saying that's good <laughs> Yeah. So uh, Kansas is a state – it's considered a Republican state. It went overwhelmingly for both Donald Trump and Mitt Romney. Why do you think Kansas flipped?
1: Well, I, so Kansas uh, got an early taste of Trump economics – Uh, Before the rest of the country, they had elected Sam Brownback governor. He uh, basically implemented trickle-down economics on steroids. He implemented robust tax cuts for corporations, uh, cut school funding to pay for it, and they felt the consequences of that firsthand. So they already know how Trump economics works, and so I think they're less likely to fall for that message.
0: Now, and and I know Sam Brownback was unpopular, but... um... If you go to Oklahoma, you know, a state just bordering that the Republican, Kevin Stitt, defeated Drew Edmondson, the Democrat, overwhelmingly. And and the polls suggested that would be a tight race. And that in that state, Mary Fallon, right now, who's the current governor of Oklahoma, is the most unpopular uh, uh, governor in the entire country, um, according to approval numbers. Uh, so what why was was do you think why do you think Laura Kelly was able to mobilize voters around the issue of Sam Brown back, but Edmondson wasn't able to motivate democratic voters and independent voters around the unpopularity of Fallon?
1: Uh, I mean I, I again, I would go back to the fact that Kansas has experienced it firsthand. I think in Oklahoma, you have, uh, it's a pretty deep red state. So if a Democrat wins there, it's kind of the exception to the rule. And they had to be kind of this half moderate person to get past that Republican bias. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I think voters sense that. They can tell when people aren't being genuine. So they'll go for the candidate that they feel is more honest. And I feel like that's what happens out there. That's been happening for a while.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then also South Dakota. Now in South Dakota, the Republican did win. Christy Noem did win over uh, the Democrat, Billy Sutton. Uh-huh. But South Dakota was extremely close. It was razor thin. Yes. Uh, she won by a 51 to 47 margin. Uh, this is a state Donald Trump won by a blowout. And Mitt Romney won by a blowout. This is a state which hasn't... The last time South Dakota elected a Democratic governor was in 1974. The last time... An election here was even close. Was in 1986. Uh-huh. Uh, the the four years ago, the Republican not only won, but he won by oh, with over 70 percent of the vote. Why was South Dakota so close this year? Uh,
1: I, I think it's uh, the Trump effect, because, it, it, again, it, it's stoking that political division. And so the one consequence of this political division isn't just that we have divisions. It's that you actually have uh, college-educated women in particular leaving the Republican Party because they're very unhappy with what they've seen. Uh, and that that trend was strongest with suburban voters especially. Uh, Lindsey Graham mentioned this was a problem after the election. It's funny that he woke up to it now and not during the Kavanaugh hearings. So if the Kavanaugh hearings were a factor, uh, that's where I would point to their effect, perhaps. Uh, If people were paying attention to politics to that degree, I I think most of it is the Trump effect, because people tend to think about the top of the ticket when they go out to vote. But
0: Trump still has a... I think last time I checked, he had a solid approval rating out of that state. And uh... There's, there's a lot of really, really rural area. I mean, South Dakota is typically you know, a rural state. Yes. So how, did, how, is the, how do you think the Democrat was able to overcome that and make it close? Uh,
1: I, <laughs> I mean, you just have to look at who Trump is. I, I, I think voters aren't strictly partisan. I, I think they look at people's character. Uh, and, you know, Trump is not good for the GOP, I think, on the long term. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just a sign of how much in trouble they are if one of their traditional, uh, strongholds, uh, came that close to being fallen.
0: Yeah. Now the the next race I wanted to talk about, which is probably the race most people were talking about on election night was the Texas Senate race. So, uh, Beto O'Rourke, uh, was defeated by Ted Cruz uh Ted Cruz defeated him 50 to 48 percent now for the first half of the night there I I was watching CNN on election night uh I think with like 57 percent of the vote in or 57 percent of the precincts in Beto was actually leading but then but the problem was a lot of the rural vote wasn't out Ted Cruz got pretty Ted Cruz pretty much got all the turnout He, he got a huge turnout out of the rural areas, and that allowed Ted Cruz to cruise to victory, no
1: pun intended. (laughs)
0: Um, But uh, what what do you think happened in that race that led to that result?
1: So I I think uh, Beto ran a a pretty solid left liberal campaign. Uh, He didn't run as a centrist, and so that meant that he was very principled, and I think he had a lot of popular appeal. Uh, But, you know, Texas is still a purple state, and there were a couple of issues I heard him speak about. And I'm like, you know, I, I wish he had kept his mouth shut or gotten a little more centrist on that response. Uh, yeah, I, I, I said during the debates he wanted to impeach Trump. Well, there you go. Yeah, so he, he's this fireball candidate. And, that, you know, the Senate is more about calm, cool, collected. Not that anyone likes Tim, Tim, Ted Cruz for that either. I think it was more of a case of the devil you know uh and, yeah. and it, you know republicans themselves were talking about how weak of a candidate Ted Cruz was i think it was there for the picking by the democrats it's just that this was a year where uh because of hillary's loss we felt that it was time i think as, as a party to try to move a little bit more left to be more genuine and and um you know people are talking about him being a presidential candidate for that reason because of his popular appeal uh but it, it at this point it's just not working in texas yet yeah
0: um what was I going to say? Um, oh, I was going to say something. Um, okay, well, I can come back to it. But the one thing I was going to say was uh, you go over to the Tennessee Senate race. Uh, um, the Democrat there ran a pretty centrist campaign, um, Bill Bredesen, uh, and yet – and the poll showed it to be pretty tight. Uh, I know Tennessee is a Republican state. Yes. But the polls did show it tight, and he ran a very centrist campaign. He he put out ads saying, "Oh, I'm going to work with Trump uh, when he's right." Um, you know, he uh, he said he would have voted yes on Kavanaugh, um, and he ended up losing by 11 points on election day. Uh-huh. And he had a far right opponent. He had a really far to the right opponent who defeated him by 11 percentage points, which was 50. No, yeah, yeah, it was a uh, 50. Three to 42, yeah, 53 to 42%. So why do you think she won by a bigger than expected margin?
1: Uh, that, I have not followed that race. so I, I, I can't say specifically. Um, I, I would just rely on the, I think nationally there's that economic argument. Um, if, if you're economically suffering, I think you're less likely to listen to the Democrats' message of inclusion and uh, particularly a stronger social safety net. Uh, so I think that might be where that came from. Yeah. But he ran a very and he talked about
0: he talked first of all he talked about tariffs. He tried to use that to his advantage. But he he also ran a really really center left campaign. So Yeah. Oh. Why didn't that...
1: I, yeah, I mean it, it's there's the candidate but then I I think voters may know that when they're sending a democrat to the Senate they're they're ensuring a democratic majority in the Senate. I think this election was viewed as a referendum on Trump. Uh so uh, it, they I think they didn't want to send someone to Washington who would validate the democratic agenda in any way it, re- it doesn't really matter what the candidate says <laughs> at least i, I yeah. think i don't know what, how the average voter thinks on this topic i might be giving them too much credit uh, but that's just my guess
0: now i want to talk a little bit about florida right now
2: mm-hmm.
1: so florida uh
0: right now it, it's really getting interesting and it's turning into florida 2000 deja vu yes. Almost like PTSD of Bush versus Well,
1: a, a little bit less than that. And uh, let me tell you that Republicans suddenly forgot how mail-in ballots and absentee voting works. Um, yeah. they, they have amnesia on that point, And this year they're calling it election fraud instead of, you know, counting votes. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's been a very disturbing trend to see because the, the party faithful licked that up. And I I had one person on Facebook tell me, oh, we should investigate the Democrats for election fraud, just like they investigated Mueller, you know, as if it's a tit for tat game where let's see who committed what crime when, you know, (laughs) it's like, there is no crime here. That's just how elections work and have always worked. There's nothing special about this particular election, except perhaps how close it is. Uh, But yeah, it takes time to count votes. And that's all that's going on.
0: Do you think, uh, well, just a quick thing, how do you think the governor's race is going to go between Ron DeSantis and Andrew Gillum? Because originally on election night, we thought DeSantis had won that election, but now Gillum has asked for a recount, and how do you think the Senate race between Bill Nelson and Rick Scott is going to go. Who do you think is going to come out on top in both races? Uh,
1: so I, I think the Senate race has a better chance of being reversed than the gubernatorial race. But I will say I was reading that uh, recounts rarely reverse election results. It's just a double check yes. to say, hey, did we get everything right? And chances are they'll say, yeah, it was right. And the Republicans will stay in power, which is why it's even more disturbing to see them actually try to interfere in the recount effort. Because <laughs> if there are yeah. more votes that are missing or whatever and need to be counted, you know, they shouldn't be trying to stop that from happening. I see. Now,
0: um, uh, what was I going to say? I keep forgetting. Um, Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, I remember. So um, now in the Minnesota Senate race in 2008, which was between Norm Coleman, the incumbent Republican, and Al Franken, Norm Coleman originally won that race on election night. But then they had a recount, and now Franken won. Yes. However, I think in that case, that was because uh, Norm Coleman was only 215 votes ahead. On, Much closer uh, margin. Yeah.
1: So, Razor. Yeah. Yeah. And them. I
0: think he, I think Scott is like 10,000 votes ahead there right go. now. Maybe, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Yeah. But around, around that margin. And I read the gubernatorial
1: uh, well, was 15,000 apart. So yeah, it's a, it's a bigger margin to overcome.
0: Uh, and I know that you're probably interested to in talk about this. The Georgia governor's race hasn't been settled yet.
1: Yeah, i have hearing lots of disturbing stories out of Georgia. Uh, we, we heard about the scrubbing of the voter rolls where the court had to intervene to restore voting rights. Uh, and then yeah. I, I've also heard stories of people being turned away. I saw a picture of a mailed in ballot that had uh, undeliverable on it, and it was returned to the sender, even though it had a pre-filled election address on it. Uh, so it's just shenanigans. Um, and I, we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we, we heard a few years back from the Supreme court that racism is over and that we don't need the voting rights act anymore. And I think they ruled the wrong way on that.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I remember what I was going to say about Beto and Cruz. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, I read somewhere there was, I think there was an article online, I think it was from the Washington post that said, uh, it, I think, or it was something like that, and I think the title was, Did Beto Blow It? Yes. And I think one of the, and this was right before the election happened, uh-huh. and they were talking about how Beto didn't get, uh, he had a lot of headquarters around the state, which was a smart move, but they said the one thing he didn't do was he didn't have a political analyst that was there specifically, or a political consultant that was there specifically to tell him, how to operate in a ruby red state, or or a traditionally red state, because typically, if you look at other people like Heidi Heitkamp or uh, Joe Donnelly or a lot of centrist Democrats that are that are trying to run in Republican states, they'll they'll often get a political consultant who can come in and tell them, okay, this is how you should operate. Uh-huh. This, is how, this is what you should campaign on. This is what you should say. You should. You should give Trump credit on this, but you shouldn't say this to uh, to alienate your 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 Democratic base that you need to come out. He didn't have that. And do you do you think that that could be could have been
1: uh, what led to him losing? I I don't know for sure, because we we have heavily consulted candidates who don't come across as genuine and everyone hates them. Uh, And we know Ted Cruz was unlikable. Uh, So I I think for this election, it might have been worth the risk to go without a political consultant just to see, you know, does likability win elections? Uh, And I I think the answer in Texas is no, very clearly. Uh, But I I think that was worth a try this time.
0: Mm. Um, Now, uh, do you think obviously people are already starting to talk about 2020? Do you think that uh, Beto's uh, 2020 ambitions will... or do you think Beto has any ambitions for 2020? Because immediately the question after Beto lost on Twitter and many other places is, is Beto going to run for president in 2020? And I think right before the election, CNN actually did a 2020 presidential poll of potential candidates, potential democratic candidates, kind of squaring them off against Trump. And one of the candidates they did was against Beto. Mm-hmm. So do you think Beto might have some 2020 ambitions, or is or are those a little far-fetched?
1: Uh, I, I, I do think it's a little bit far-fetched. Uh, I'm sure Beto will take the time he needs to do whatever analysis he needs to do to <laughs> see if that's uh, a leap worth making. I don't want to rule it yeah. out entirely because, you know, Trump happened, and everyone thought that was impossible. So I think that's where some of that excitement is coming from, is like, hey, here's a guy who knows how to use words. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> now, uh, I want to go back to the, the, the Republican pickups in the Senate, which were in ty- typically Republican states, which were North Dakota, Indiana, and Missouri. Uh-huh. Now, some people are saying the reason the Democrats lost there was because the Democrats, specifically Joe Donnelly and Claire McCaskill, kind of trounced all over their own party. In other words, in uh, in Indiana, uh, Joe Donnelly was, was so worried he was going to lose re-election that he actually put out an ad uh, where he's chopping wood and he says, uh, oh, uh, I, I disagree with my party on all these different things. You know, I'm not like, I'm not your mom and dad's Democrat. Yes. I supported the Bush tax cuts. I did this. I, Mr. Trump, I support the border wall funding. My Democratic colleagues don't. Um, I'm tough on immigration. You know, I'm a, I'm a different type of Democrat. And then Claire McCaskill did the same thing. She said during her Senate debate with Josh Hawley, the attorney general of Missouri who defeated her. Um, uh, she said, uh, I'm, she said, I'm not one of those crazy Democrats. You know, I'm, I, you know, I know that there are those... Those crazy nut job democrats out there she didn't say it like that but she insinuated that uh and and i'm not one of them and then she even attacked uh, uh a state representative who said she wished uh trump uh should be assassinated and she said oh that's a crazy democrat and uh the state representative attacked her and said she was desperate and she, it could, and she was saying it was racially charged because apparently the state representative that said that was African American, and she said she didn't really mean it. She didn't really mean she wanted Trump assassinated <laughs> but she but she was she said it out of anger because of what Trump's response was after Charlottesville. Um, but do you think that uh, that Joe Donnelly and Claire McCaskill essentially denouncing their own parties? Do you think that might have hurt them? Because, sure, I get that if you're going to run in a state like Indiana or Missouri, you can't just win by Democrats alone because Republicans outnumber Democrats in that in those two states. But you still need your base to come out.
1: So I, I think it uh, comes down to that question of authenticity. You know, do, will will voters believe you when you say something? Uh, And I I think that last minute aspect of it that, you know, they changed course at the end of the campaign, voters sense that and they smell a fish. It might be true that they were always that way. But the fact that they waited till the end of the campaign to say it, you know, (laughs) so if you're going to run as something, run as something and, and stick with it. And that's that's really what good leadership is anyway. And I think that's what people look for. Uh, And then also, you know, that last bit about the Democratic infighting. I mean, that's one thing Democrats love to do is eat their own, you know, (laughs) Um, and it it did turn off. I read some of the Democratic base in St. Louis. uh, So that did could have cost McCaskill the election. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Well, the reason I ask is because two of the red state Democrats, again, two of the red state Democrats that survived were John Tester in Montana, state Trump won by 21 points and West Virginia. Uh, Joe Manchin in West Virginia state Trump won by 42 points, uh-huh. huge margin. But the thing with, with Joe Manchin was Joe Manchin. Yes. He was, he voted very moderately. He voted yes on Kavanaugh. He's the only Democrat that did so, but he also, he also put out ads where he was talking about care and preexisting conditions uh-huh. and, and how much and how he didn't and how he was criticizing his opponent on uh, the Affordable Care Act so, and so it so it wasn't just centrism completely he also talked about issues like health care um, and then Joe Donnelly Joe Donnelly often voted a lot with the Democrats I think he voted with Trump less than 40 percent of the time but he would often talk like in speeches and ads he talked very highly about Trump like he would say uh, you know Trump he, he, like, I think he was on a radio show and he, he was asked about Trump's handling of uh, Kim Jong-un right after the North Korean summit. And he says, oh, I just have to reiterate how proud I am of this president and the way he handled North, Dako- or, or North Korea. Uh, so do you think that uh, the fact that, OK, maybe they acted, they acted in a centrist way, but they still, at the end of the day, they still didn't alienate Democrats completely – uh, and they still got their Democratic base out to vote, do you think that maybe that might have helped them?
1: Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the the consistency of it, you know, it, it wasn't the first time you heard them praise Trump. You know, it was a long time before the election. Uh, and then the fact that it goes against their voting record tells me that maybe this is a cult of personality more than anything else. Uh, that's certainly how Trump got elected. So that might be where uh, smart politicians are playing these days instead of um, – actual policy which is a little bit scary for the country but <laughs> hey yeah you know as long as people get their health care hey why not <laughs> yeah. now uh i want
0: to focus specifically on uh missouri mm-hmm. because it, two years ago uh uh jay nixon was governor i think chris Coster was attorney general of missouri um jason kander was secretary of state Uh, And Claire McCaskill was a U.S. senator. So – oh, and then I think their treasurer was also a Democrat. Their state treasurer was also a Democrat. Uh So – and then plus the state auditor. That meant there were six state – democratic statewide elected officials in Missouri just two years ago. Uh And now come January, there's going to be just one. Yep. But I want to focus on that because the auditor there – I know, you know, we may not – you know – the auditors race and the, the treasurer's race—they don't get as much attention. But if you look at that auditors race, people thought Nicole Galloway, the Democratic auditor, was in big trouble, but she survived. Mm-hmm. She survived, and she had to—I think she had to give birth when, uh, when she, while she was campaigning to her third child,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and she—and she was considered somebody who was in big trouble, especially since you know it's a ruby red state. But she survived. She survived. I think she's going to run for governor Mm -hmm. in 2020. And if she doesn't win for governor, and I think if she does run, I think she'll probably easily get the nomination. Because I think now she's probably – now that McCaskill's lost, she's probably the most powerful Democrat in Missouri. And I think if she loses the governor – if she runs and loses in the governor's race, I, I, I wouldn't rule out the idea that she might run against Roy Blunt in the Senate two years later. But why do you think she won and McCaskill didn't?
1: Uh, so you said it was a state auditor's office that she held. Yeah, state auditor race. Yeah, so that that's more down ballot. Uh, voters generally are less critical of those positions, I would venture to guess. Uh, and if she didn't make a major mistake, uh, there's no reason to blame her for the way things are going in the state more generally. Yeah. So uh, and she
0: had to come in. She had to come in. I think she was appointed originally by the democratic governor because there was a Republican state auditor a couple of years ago, but he ended up committing suicide. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so had to be, <laughs> she had to be appointed in, I think she's the most, I think, I think she's now going to be the most powerful Democrat in Missouri because of that, because now because of the fact that now she's the only statewide elected official, she had to give birth to her third child while she was, on the campaign trail Uh and she had to come in at a time when the, 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 the past office holder committed suicide. Yeah. I think she's the most, I, 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 I think she's probably going to run for governor in, in 2020. And I think in terms of, I don't know if she'll win the general election, but I think if she runs in the democratic, I think in the democratic primary, if she wants it, the nomination is probably hers.
1: I, I, yeah, it puts her in a, a very strong uh, starting position. Yeah.
0: Um, but uh, that, that's interesting. Another thing I, well, first of all, I want to say the North Dakota Senate race, the margin I predicted was the exact margin that turned out to be true 55 to 44% for the Republican. Nice. Over Heidi Heitkamp. Um, do you think uh, Kavanaugh hurt Heitkamp there? Because I know you said it didn't hurt them in a lot of states, but. She was she was about tied with Kevin Kramer in the polls up until she voted no on Kavanaugh. Once she voted no on Kavanaugh, all of a sudden Kramer saw a huge jump in the polls and he was leading by like 8 to 16 points going into Election Day. Do you think that kavanaugh might have affected uh, the kavanaugh vote might have affected that there
1: i mean it it sounds from what you're telling me very likely uh correlation isn't always causation but if if there's no better explanation for that change in the polls then yeah absolutely yeah now another thing i
0: thought was interesting was connecticut the governor's race was really close because um uh uh what's his name ned lamont ended up uh defeating the Republican by just uh, Bob Stefanowski by just two points. in fact, when I went to bed that night it looked like Stefanowski, the Republican was gonna win. Now I got up the next morning apparently um, well apparently two things happened apparently uh, there was a there's an article I think from the New York Times that came out that said that apparently the guy who was counting the ballots actually had to recount some ballots because he actually spilled a glass of water on some of the ballots. I'm not kidding. And then also apparently uh, Lamont made a comeback and he ended up winning. But again, Hillary and Obama won one Connecticut overwhelmingly. Why was it so close in that state? Uh,
1: so Connecticut is the wealthy suburbs of New York. Uh, I would imagine that's why they have more of a Republican Tendency, and then also there's the fact that uh, New England Republicans are not like the rest of the country's Republicans, because uh, it, it's very similar to what Democrats have to do in the Midwest. Republicans mm-hmm. often have to run more to the left when in the Northeast. Uh, so you do have a, a couple of strong centrist senators from that part of the country. Uh, I, I didn't follow that campaign specifically, so I don't know how he yeah. ran. But the- well, and he was a he was a pro-Trump Republican, and he
0: ran as a pro-Trump Republican. Okay, and he also said. He also said he wanted to abolish the federal income tax.
1: Yeah. So, I <laughs> well,
0: think it might have been. Now, some people like to say that um, it was because he runs on he ran on low taxes and he was able to create this uh, this message that because a lot of Republicans, what they'll do in blue, especially in blue states or in really in all elections, they'll try and say if this Democrat gets in. He slash she is going to raise your taxes,
2: uh-huh.
0: and they use that as a scare tactic. And they and they uh, they even use that in blue states because right now one of the people that won was Larry Hogan in Maryland, and he won by a big margin. He became just the second Republican in history governor of Maryland in history, and the first Republican governor since the 1950s to get reelected. Um, he campaigned. He was running against uh, Ben Jealous. Um, and he campaigned on this because Ben Jealous was a big Bernie Sanders Democrat. He supported Medicare for all and whatnot, Uh and he was saying, listen, if Ben Jealous gets in, you're going to see you guys are going to see a huge tax hike. You're going to see tons of debt and a huge tax hike, Uh and I think that must have worked since he won 56 to 42. He won by like 14 points. Um. So do you think that might have been and I, from what I've heard, Stefanoski did that. He said, um, he said to Lamont, he said, oh, this is what's going to happen. You vote for Lamont, your taxes are going to be through the roof. Do you think that could be why that happened?
1: Uh, that That's one possibility. But you also mentioned the fact that the uh, result changed overnight. And uh, that makes me want to bring up another trend that I noticed across the country. Uh, and I, I want to say... You know, we right now we have no paper trail for our electronic voting machines. And these votes that come in later are paper votes that can't be hacked. So I think it's very interesting <laughs> that we've seen these races with very close margins that get flipped by the mail-in and paper ballots that come in later. Um, mm. So I, I think this speaks to the need for, uh, and this is a very nonpartisan point I'm trying to make. We need election security, uh, some independent monitoring of, uh, these machines, so that their results can be verified uh, and recounted if necessary. Uh, right now, I don't see how you do that without a paper trail. Uh, another mm-hmm. possibility I've heard mentioned is open source voting. Because um, I, I just <laughs> the, that fear tactic you mentioned about taxes is true, and and we've we've seen that a lot. Uh, I just I don't know if that was should have been the overriding concern in this election. <laughs> yeah. Um...
0: Now, some people have also been trying to blame Dan Malloy, the current governor, because the current governor, Dan Malloy, is right now uh, the second most unpopular governor in the entire country behind Mary Fallon. Okay. So do you think that could have that even though Lamont, even though he wasn't
1: on the ballot, do you think that might have seeped into the results? It it could have. Yeah. Anytime you have a a governor from a particular party, that's going to be your your kind of notion of what the national party is doing most americans get their news from local tv news uh so mm-hmm. if that's the kind of stuff they're hearing then yeah now i want to talk about
0: maryland so gubernatorial race larry hogan won not even really close it was 56 to 42 now we talked about it could have been uh you know him saying ben jealous the democrat is gonna raise your taxes mm-hmm. Do you think it might have just had to do with Ben Jealous being a bad candidate? Because no. We, we, we talk, well, because we talked about this on our show, uh, is Ben Jealous he, – he, there were a couple times when he had a lot of – a couple of controversies and a couple of gaffes. Because there was one – at one point he, he, uh, he had the are you kidding me line, and then there was another point where there was like a really vulgar tweet that his account liked. Do you think that might have been because of that, or do you think it was mainly because of the – tax taxes gear tactic, or do you even think it was something else? do you think it was the, that he might have lacked in name recognition
1: uh so i i, I think the overriding factor there might have been his uh self professed adherence to democratic socialism um, so he ran a, a solid left campaign now granted Maryland is a liberal state anyway on average I was add, but it's going ask that <laughs> yeah but it it you know the this republican governor we had has as I recall, mostly governed as a centrist. So he's kind of that leftist Republican that can win in liberal areas. And I think between democratic socialism and leftist Republican, people wanted the, the second one. Yeah, but he did, he
0: he did come under fire by some, for some people for cutting education funding. Um, and I think at one point he called teachers unions bullies. So why 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 didn't that, because you'd think that wouldn't appeal to voters in Maryland. Um, why Why don't you think that played more into Jealous's column? Um,
1: I mean, as far as teachers' unions go, I, I think that's an issue that's like with a certain segment of the blue base. I don't think it's a broad-based popular issue. Uh, union membership is at historic lows. Uh, I personally recognize the value of being a member of the union and support unions, uh, but I also recognize that my position right now isn't very popular, <laughs> so I, w- yeah. I wouldn't pin my election hopes on that.
0: Now, I want to go over to, um, speaking of unions, uh, Wisconsin, really interesting. So, first of all, the uh, in the Senate race, Tammy Baldwin, the incumbent, defeated Leah Bookmer, uh by... Um, by double digits, she won re-election by double digits, and in the governor's race, Scott Walker went down to Tony Evers. Um, now, Wisconsin is a is a crucial state that helped Donald Trump get over the top. Do you think that um, the Do you think that this the fact that uh, Wisconsin, the fact that they both won in Wisconsin, the Democrats did really well in Wisconsin this year. Do you think that that could be a sign? that uh do you think it could be a sign that uh could that be a bad sign for trump going into 2020 because yeah you need a good ground game if you're going to go into 2020 you need uh senators that can come out and campaign for you and can't and you know kind of introduce you to the state and you need governors that can do the same thing do you think that this means trump has a a bad ground campaign in the rust belt going into 2020 um and why do you think scott walker lost to tony evers
1: uh so a, a couple of reasons uh I, I think one is that you know like kansas you know wisconsin voters have seen firsthand the effect of republican policies for a while now and i don't think they liked what they saw uh and then that combined with what was going on at the national level i, I think that's what put democrats over the top um and then I, I think the the other reason that might be sort of tangential uh, is that uh, Wisconsin is close to Michigan. And I think they saw what happened to the Republican governor there. Uh, and I, I think they didn't want that to happen to their state. Because <laughs> um, oh, so, the Rust Belt did
0: go pretty Democratic. I mean, yeah, the Democrats, uh, Bob Casey won by double digits over Lou Barletta. Uh, Scott Wagner lost by double digits to Tom Wolf, both in Pennsylvania. And then Michigan, um, uh, uh, Gretchen Whitmer defeated Bill Schuette overwhelmingly in the governor's race, um, and uh, Gretchen, uh, uh, sorry, Debbie Stabenow won re-election over John James. Although I should point out, she did win by about seven points. The polls showed that John James was losing by like twenty points, uh-huh. and he only the Republican. Uh, uh, But on election day, he only lost by seven points. Now, do you think that might have been because because here's the thing about John James, John James was uh, he was young. He was charismatic. I think he was a war veteran and he was an African-American Republican. Do you think that maybe that just had to do with John James being a good candidate or do you think there was something else that led to the race being closer than expected?
1: Um, I mean, I, I don't know enough about that specific race to, to be able to say for sure. Um, I mean, I'm thinking back to the voting machines, here again. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, if race was a factor, uh, I know that people are more reluctant to tell pollsters, uh, their feelings on race. Uh, so that, that might have been an issue there, but I, I just, I don't know that race well enough to say for sure. Interesting. Now,
0: um, Iowa was really interesting this year because Democrats did really well in the house races because now there's only going to be one Republican, uh, going back to the U S house in January, uh, from Iowa. Uh, the Democrats picked up two seats in Iowa. Now o- only one U S representative, uh, remains in Iowa. That's a Republican come January. Um, and then also in the, again, in the auditor's race down ballot, uh, the Democrat, uh, won, the Democrat defeated the incumbent Republican, but in the, uh, gubernatorial election, most people expected, most pundits expected the Democrat to win there, but he didn't The instead the incumbent Republican, uh, Kim Reynolds won. Uh, why do you think she won? And do you think that the uh advantage of the incumbency might have had something to do with her winning over
1: fred hubel the democrat yeah i have, I have no idea about iowa politics i know that uh farm politics figure heavily there uh so if, if i i just don't know anything about what the candidate said about during that race to know why it went one way or the other interesting
0: um now let's see uh uh do you think the uh the the midwest like like states like Colorado, do you think states like Colorado and Nevada are gone for the democrats
1: No uh i think uh democrats solidified their gains in Colorado No, no
0: I meant when, when i said gone for the democrats i mean do you think they're safely democratic Oh now. i see <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, they, I they have gone yeah, for like... the
1: democrats and will continue to go i see <laughs> Um yeah so it, it's I, I think that's one of the more interesting aspects of the Obama legacy. Uh, and then also I think it just reflects the population shift that's been happening in general. Um, you, you have a lot of, uh, young and, and liberal and, um, I don't want to say wealthy, but skilled workers uh, moving to these areas. Uh, so they, they have a little bit more money, a little bit more education, and they, they've tilted the, the political demographics there. Yeah.
0: I mean, um, Cause a lot of people are saying, um, a lot, cause if you went like a, like, a, like a decade ago and you told somebody in Nevada or Colorado that one day those States would be democratic. Nobody would have believed you yeah. because those used to be Republican States. They used to be Republican strongholds. At least Colorado was, I think Nevada was always kind of purplish, but Colorado is a Republican stronghold. Um, now, I think there's only one Republican statewide elected official left, yep. and that's uh, Corey Gardner, who wasn't up this year. Do you think he's in, in trouble in, in 2020? And what do you think about Democrats' chances of taking back the Senate in 2020? Do you think they're realistic? No. Or do you think
2: <laughs> – no, you uh, don't think so? so the, the, the,
1: the Senate is a, a very Republican stronghold because of the way it's set up with uh, rural states just dominating the, that House. Um, so the, the only way Democrats won the Senate in the past was with these moderate blue dog Democrats who were able to like take Republican positions half the time and democratic positions the other half the time. And we just talked about how those kinds of Democrats were losing this year. Not all, but you know, uh, so it, it's, I, I don't want to say it's impossible for Democrats to take the Senate. I just, I, I think it's a distant hope. <laughs> uh, and I'll take it by the end of Trump's presidency. Uh, I, I think it's very unlikely, just because we've seen the swing to the left among the national party, uh, and the rural states that make up the Senate are not that far left, and I don't think they're ready to uh, look at that option yet, just from what I've seen of the national debate.
0: Well, and that's true because they were saying uh, that um, in uh, they're they're saying in twenty twenty, uh, 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 what should call They said. Uh, Colorado, uh, or, or they said Democrats have a chance in Colorado and Arizona, but they say even though there are better chances for the Democrats in 2020, they still have to hold on to Alabama. Huh. Like they would still have to hold, on, most likely would have to hold on to Alabama unless they ran the table in 2020. They'd, they'd probably have to hold on to Alabama, and that's going to be really hard because that's that's you know that's where Doug Jones is right now, and they're probably going to hit him on Kavanaugh. And if uh, if Democrats couldn't defend seats in Indiana or Missouri, how are they going to defend a seat in Alabama?
1: Yeah, I think there would need to be a a stronger national shift than what we've seen. Um, Now, now granted, there are Democrats in Alabama and those elections aren't lost by very wide margins. Uh, So I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's it's just that, you know, we have so much that can happen between now and 2020 and uh, Democrats control the House now. Uh, so I'm going right. to be waiting to see how American voters judge Democrats' House performance in the context of being one out of, uh, I guess, three houses of government that basically run the show. Uh, <laughs> so because it, it, I, I guess my skepticism comes from the Obama years, right, because we had a, a Democratic president, but then you had a Republican Congress and people still blame the president. You know, uh, mm. so I, I I guess I feel like I'm waiting for voters to blame the House Democrats for something. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. but, uh But well, who knows? Do you think Do you think Pelosi's going to be Speaker come
0: uh, January?
1: That's a tough question too. Uh, I I think she should be. I think she is a traditional San Francisco liberal, but it, that makes her a centrist right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, in the party, and I I think she it would be a good mediating force to have. Uh, but we'll see what the incoming House freshmen have to say about that. Do you, if Pelosi ends up not
0: being Speaker, who would you like to see aside from her? Oh, I, there, I, are there any specific people?
1: I, I don't follow House politics closely enough. Uh, I, I don't know. No one stands out of my mind as like that. That person has leadership qualities. Uh, the uh. the House is just kind of this. Uh, peanut gallery thing (laughs) and if a voice happens to emerge from it then great you know
0: (laughs) yeah interesting um so uh i want to talk a little about that some i want to talk a little bit about some of the house races so uh there were some impressive flips for democrats there was uh in uh virginia the seat that eric Cantor uh once held Eric Cantor only lost his seat because he wasn't conservative enough. That went to a Democrat in Texas, the head of the RNCC. For those listening that don't know what the RNCC uh, is, is it's, essentially, uh, it's, essentially a, it's essentially a pack that spends money running ads uh, in Republican states. Uh, and even in some states where, Republic, where they think Republicans have a chance of winning to try and get Republican politicians elected, uh, he went down, and that was considered a traditionally Republican district. Even um, they said the seat that George H.W. Bush once held in the 70s, which since he left office never went for a Democrat, went for a Democrat that night. They also said that uh, in uh, 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 in Georgia, uh, Newt Gingrich's ex-seat went to a Democrat. mm mm-hmm. Um, so why do you think so many traditionally, historically Republican
1: seats flipped? Well, the, I mean, it reflects the change in the Republican Party, given who's at the top right now and what he's uh, done to the party. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. where the responsibility lies, uh, because the Republicans have been following Trump down this road of, uh, um, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, uh, I, I've heard fascism, I've heard nationalism, um, but it, it's not good for the country. And I, I think that's why we've seen these these Republican bastions uh, suddenly turn a little bit more blue because I, I think there's a lot of people of conscience out there who, you know, don't just vote on issues. Um, now, another person I wanted to talk about
0: uh, was, uh, was Richard Ojeda, uh, Amy McGrath and Randy Bryce. So uh, in, um, in uh, Kentucky, Andy Barr, the incumbent, uh, defeated Amy McGrath in the 6th District in uh, Kentucky. Uh, a lot of people thought he might, uh, he might have a chance there, um, but ultimately um, uh, he, uh, he did not win. Um, in Wisconsin's first district, a lot of people thought, uh, Randy Bryce had a chance. This was Paul Ryan's seat, which is he's, he's retiring from uh-huh. right now. They're projecting that, uh, Brian Steele, uh, the Republican will win by a bigger than expected 12 point margin. And they're also saying in West Virginia's third district, uh, Richard Ojeda is being, is going, uh, has been defeated by carol miller uh the republican uh why do you think uh these uh these democrats uh went down Why, why, if they could win in areas like uh like newt gingrich's ex-seat uh and there's a really liberal democrat that won in newt gingrich's uh ex-district uh uh, and if they could defeat the head of the rncc if they could defeat a seat if they could get a seat george hw bush held that hadn't gone democratic for 40 years uh uh, why couldn't they win in those districts
1: so it it, it, it speaks to this again rural urban uh divide that's going on in the suburban voters Uh, so i know that's what flipped the uh, virginia seat um and it's i think it comes down to demographics i mean the house is the most democratic house of congress that we have so it's going to reflect the nation and if the nation's changing you'll probably see it in the house um and then yeah democrats can't take their message everywhere uh because of this political divide we're experiencing uh and i i don't know how we overcome that but uh
0: with um with richard Ojeda, everybody thought he did everything right Mm -hmm. because he uh he essentially didn't focus on he tried he he essentially ran an, uh, an entirely populist campaign and he didn't run on which they like in west virginia because west virginia Part of the reason Democrats like Joe Manchin are in West Virginia and Democrats can still win statewide there, they, they think, is because uh, right now uh, West Virginia is an area where, um, uh, where typically uh, voters tend to side with the Republicans on social issues, but they side with the Democrats on fiscal issues. So, uh, why wasn't, um, why wasn't, uh, and Richard Ojeda, he even, he even said he was pro-coal, which tends to appeal to voters in West Virginia. Why, uh, why, why couldn't he, uh, win this election?
1: Yeah, I don't know enough about that candidate specifically. I mean, there, there's some national overriding trends, but, uh, I mean, uh, West Virginia, because I don't know where in West Virginia that district is, like I I can't tell you what the factors were. <laughs> um, All right. yeah.
0: Sorry. I want to talk about one race before we get into some of the news, um, which is uh, Arizona. Mm-hmm. So in the gubernatorial race, the Republican won overwhelmingly. He won by like sixteen points in uh, in West Virginia, or sorry, in Arizona. The Republican governor, um, however. In the other race, in the Senate race, uh, it hasn't been officially called yet. Although some people right now are projecting that the Democrat Kristen Cinema is going to win that seat, which is being vacated by uh, Jeff Flake. So that's a pickup in the Senate for the Democrats. Uh-huh. What do you think was the divide? Why didn't what went on in the the governor's race? Why didn't that seep into the U.S. Senate race?
1: Well, so the, the the Senate race was uh, who's going to replace Senator John McCain, which I think is a, no, this is
0: Jeff Flake's seat. Uh, oh, oh, it was Flake's.
1: Yes. Okay. Because Flake
0: is running for a second term. Well, for some John reason McCain I thought it was McCain's has, a,
1: seat. <laughs> no,
0: John McCain. There's a special there's a special election for John McCain's seat in 2020.
1: Oh my. Okay. Then yeah, I got that one wrong. Uh, but then I wonder how many other voters did too, because. <laughs> yeah. I think that was actually a story I read in the Arizona Daily Star was that this is essentially uh, the vote to replace McCain. Uh, so yeah. at least that's how the local media was portraying it. I don't know how many voters went along with that, but that was my first thought when you're, when you're telling me this distance between the state politics and the national is that I, I think, you know, the, how the state is run is just a very different question from who do we send to represent us in the, in the federal government and on foreign policy and, you know, healthcare. That was something else that John McCain had voted on. So that might have been on voters' minds. Yeah. Um,
0: uh, interesting. So then why don't we get into some of the news? Uh, so the first bit of news I want to talk about is Saturday Night Live. So Saturday Night Live got into some uh, trouble last week because uh, Pete Davison, he is uh, an actor on the show. Um, he was talking about... Uh, the, um, he was, he did the segment because it was before election day. Uh, and he did a segment where he was making fun of the looks of a bunch of politicians. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he made fun of, like, he made fun of Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, my governor. He also made fun of, I think he made fun of Ted Cruz. Um, but then he got to, uh, to, uh, what's his name? He got, uh, to, um, Uh, he got to, uh, let me look up what his name was. Um, uh, hold on. Uh, Dan Crenshaw, Dan Crenshaw, who at the time was a candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives. And, uh, he, uh, now Dan Crenshaw has an eye patch. Um, uh, and he was making fun of his eye patch and he said, Oh, just in case you're wondering now, oh yeah, Dan Crenshaw, he was running for election in Texas' second congressional district. He said, oh, well, in case you're wondering, no, he's not a villain from a porno movie. He's uh, he's a candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives. And then he says, uh, and then he went on to say, oh yeah, I, I, I get it. He, and he's like, he's like, oh yeah, I know, I probably shouldn't be... Uh, doing that since he lost an eye in war or something and then he starts laughing but let's just say it didn't it didn't go over well uh-huh. with a lot of people um because a lot of people thought that pete Davidson was disrespecting his service now they did have a skit on snl uh this week this past week uh where they uh, during the weekend update when they brought pete davison back on and they actually brought the real Dan Crenshaw on uh, to um, uh, to uh, they, they brought the real uh, Dan Crenshaw on, um, and he uh, he apologized to him on that show, uh, or Pete Davidson apologized to Dan Crenshaw on the show, um, and uh, it should also be noted that. Uh, Dan Crenshaw did win his house race by about seven points. He defeated Todd Witten, uh, uh, and uh, he so so he is going to the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, uh, and it should also be noted that um, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, um, uh, Keenan Thompson, an- another actor uh, on SNL, actually. Um, he actually said that he he said he actually said that he actually said that he thought it was a mistake for Pete Davidson to say that, and that Pete Davidson would never mean disrespect towards veterans, but it was a, a poor delivery. Um, what do what do you think? Do you think people were were just being too sensitive about about it as a joke? Or do you think that there's actually something to to be concerned about
1: here? Uh, So what I'm concerned about is that we're holding our comedians to a higher standard than our politicians. Uh, I think Trump said much worse things about John McCain and and his war service. Uh, And, you know, he he goes on cruising. Uh, So I don't know why people are trying to take down a comedian over what was obviously uh, just a physical comedy gag. I mean, that's standard comedy. Um, I think that's why Keenan defended it the way he did uh or so it's yeah it's it's comedy false. <laughs> lighten up a little yeah. bit well, um, well
0: he did also say he thought it was a poor choice of words
1: uh sorry what was the choice of words
0: uh well he said so essentially what he said was he started out he because here's the thing dan crenshaw he was a veteran and he lost he, he had he wears an eye patch because there was an ied right but what, what was the choice of words so here's what he says. He essentially the segment was he was making fun of the looks of all these different politicians like Cuomo well, yeah. and I think Ted yeah. Cruz. And then he gets to him and he says he looks like a, a villain in a porno movie.
1: Okay, so I, I mean, th- I think that's what James Bond was based on. I think that's probably where he was trying to go with that joke. And I think James Bond would have been safer territory for that joke. Yeah. Uh, and then he went on to say, I know I shouldn't be joking
0: about it because he's a, a veteran or something, or because he. Lost his eye in war or something. Yeah. And then he starts like laughing the entire time.
1: Uh, Yeah. So, I I mean, that's probably nervous laughter. Uh, I mean, people are human, they make mistakes. Yeah. I I don't even know if this was really a mistake because, like, if the point is to make fun of someone's appearance, you're going to make fun of what their appearance is. And I I think this is the conservative end of the safe spaces, trigger warning snowflake stuff, right? Like (laughs) like have a thicker skin guys. If you're going to complain about social justice warriors doing this. And Dan
0: Crenshaw himself did respond. And he did say that he was not offended by the skit. He, all he said was like, like, like apparently they called him and they apologized to him and they asked him, Oh, is there anything we can do? Apparently, he he all he asked for was uh, that they donated to uh, a veterans group. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but he did end up uh, uh, going on Saturday Night Live. But um, he did say he did say he wasn't offended
1: by it. Good, yeah. So if the politician wasn't offended by it, neither should anyone else. And it's comedy. Yeah. End of story. <laughs> yeah.
0: So let me see. Let me uh, pull up the next uh, story. Uh, so this was another thing. Um, so Michael Cohen, uh, came out right before the election and, uh, claimed, uh, Trump said racist things, uh, or claimed he, he heard Trump say racial slurs. Yes. Uh, and one of the, the slurs he, he thought he said was, well, one of the things he he was saying was that he thought Trump said, um, that, uh. Uh, that uh, that because apparently he said oh uh, why don't Af- more African Americans vote apparently during the 2016 election Cohen said to Trump he said oh why don't more African Americans vote for you and then apparently according to Cohen Trump said because they're too stupid and there are other things along those lines which he said um, and some people are saying well it wouldn't be surprising if Trump said this yada 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 But other people are saying, I don't think I don't know if I can trust Michael Cohen uh, because he's not the most credible person. What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, Yeah. So I I would not be surprised if Trump said it. uh, But then it is interesting for Cohen to wait this long. I suppose he was waiting for after the election so that it wouldn't sway the results. No, he said it before Uh, the election. Oh, he did. He did. Okay, I didn't see it until after. OK, but yeah, if he said it before the election, then that would be more reason for people to suspect his motives. Um, this is why people used to wait, uh, granted we're not in normal political circumstances anymore. Uh, so that I don't, I don't believe Michael Cohen is lying, but I can see why people would think that.
0: Yeah. Um, now, um, uh, yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about that or should we move on?
1: We can, yeah, I can move on.
0: All right. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, attorney general. Jeff Sessions. Yes. So Jeff Sessions is gone. He's out. He's, he's gone. He's, he's bit the dust. Um,
1: and he was one of Trump's most loyal supporters.
0: Yes. And apparently Trump never liked him back.
1: Because um, he wouldn't. Re- he wouldn't. Uh, he, the, the dispute was over the recusal from the uh, Mueller investigation. Yes. He, 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 Trump always resented him for that. He expected loyalty above the law.
0: Right. Um, and now Trump has appointed Matthew Whitaker uh, to replace Jeff Sessions. Uh, are you glad to see? Uh, and well, and I should also point out that uh, Matthew Whitaker um, also uh, uh, got uh, into a bit of uh, a titter tatter because um, he. Uh, Because right now, people are saying that he – did. right now, there's a lot of controversy about whether he's going to try and end the Mueller investigation. A lot of Democrats are concerned about that. Uh
2: Um,
0: And uh, the other concern is, does Trump have the constitutional authority to appoint an acting attorney general without any Senate or congressional approval? Uh, Do you believe he does – uh, and do you believe that he has something that um, uh, that this has something to do with Rod Rosenstein? Are you glad to see uh, Jeff Sessions gone? And what are your thoughts on Matthew Whitaker taking over? Uh,
1: I'm. <laughs> I mean, it's just very difficult to trust Trump's motives here. Uh, we have some troubling signs about Whitaker's past that suggest he may not be a neutral actor in this investigation, and we don't know if he's going to choose to recuse himself like uh, Sessions did, especially since Trump complained so loudly about it. Uh, So we've seen the House Democrats speak up already about accountability on on that. They can use their subpoena authority. Um, But yeah, I I just think it sets up a a sort of constitutional crisis. As far as uh, Trump's authority to do it, uh, the presidents have always been able to do recess appointments when Congress is not in session. They can choose whoever they want uh, to hold the office for a certain number of days before Congress has to weigh in. Uh, I'm not sure if that's what happened here. Uh, was Congress in session when Trump made the appointment?
0: I'm not. I, I, I'm not 100 percent sure about that. I'm not. Okay. 100%. Well, that,
1: that's what we need to go back and check, because like if, if Congress was in session, then, yes, it's unprecedented and completely unconstitutional. If Congress was not in session, then he's able to do that. He's within his rights. Ah, interesting.
0: Um, so anything else, uh, you want to say about that? Oh, oh, uh, also another thing uh, before we move on, who do you want to see, or who do you think, let me say, who do you think is going to replace, uh, 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 whatchamacallit, uh, Jeff Sessions? Because I've heard right now, some people are saying, uh, Chris Christie, uh, could be, uh the next uh he could be the next one in line uh, somebody uh so, some other people have been saying that noel francisco uh the solicitor general could be the next in line uh to replace sessions who do you think trump is going to get as uh a replacement
1: uh who, whoever helps trump most i mean that's what the brett kavanaugh appointment was about because there, kavanaugh certainly wasn't chosen on the qualifications um but i don't want to rehash that <laughs> uh yeah, yeah it, it's just i i don't i don't think chris christie will get it because uh trump i think dislikes him uh and Tr- uh, trump picks who trump wants so <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll see um
0: anyways why don't we move on to uh ruth bader ginsburg so she uh she uh broke her ri- uh one of her ribs she fell two, she
1: two of her ribs
0: two of her ribs yikes <laughs> um and they did say she is uh walking again. Um, but you know, geez, I mean first I mean just I think like last week when I had Rashawn on, we were talking about how there's a story out about uh or it might no, it might have been the week before that. Uh uh Sandra Day O'Connor had had been diagnosed with dementia. Oh my. And that, and now uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Now they did say Ruth Bader Ginsburg was walking again, but uh, but what, are, what what were your thoughts on that happening?
1: So yeah, she she was joking about it after it happened. Um, I I don't know. Uh, I don't want to read too much into what happened because as long as she is alive and well and functioning, then you know. Um, I, I did see though on the internet a, a Ruth Bader Ginsburg organ donor sticker. Whatever she needs, I'm in. <laughs> uh, the liberals really want to keep her on that bench until uh, Donald Trump is out of there.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's going to be hard for her to step for her to to stay on the bench if Donald Trump gets reelected in 2020?
1: Uh. So I I I think I think she's in it for the long haul. I mean, I, I saw R B G the movie, and uh, <laughs> she has a daily workout routine, and and she's. She's doing her best. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's possible nature could take over. Yeah, uh, but this, if The reason think- I ask is because I believe the justice
0: who came right before Clarence Thomas, he was a, a more liberal justice. He was considered somebody who ruled in a more liberal way. Um, Thur- Thurgood Marshall, Thurgood Marshall, I think he was appointed by, yeah, he was appointed by Lyndon Johnson. He was considered a, uh, a more liberal leaning justice mm-hmm. on the bench. Um, he uh, for years, he didn't want to retire until there was a Democratic president. But in the night in the early 90s, he had some health concerns. So he ended up having to retire under the administration of George Herbert Walker Bush. And that's what led to Clarence Thomas uh, getting on the bench. So do you mm. think a scenario like that could play out with, uh, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg?
1: I mean, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I, I was just saying, if if you have a faith in a higher power, I mean, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're the ones who get to decide these things. So I don't have anything to say about that. Yeah.
0: Well, why don't we continue on to um, uh, to uh, Eric Schneiderman, the former attorney general of New York State, who is a huge... Trump, Trump critic. He ended up having to resign earlier this year because he was accused of uh, domestic violence against women. Um, they it, right now, it's looking like he is not going to be prosecuted. Uh, essentially, what the uh, the, the uh, what the judge said, because I think he went bef- uh, before trial, and but, but what was said was that uh, they couldn't press charge the. the I think the judge who was a female said that she did believe the accusers personally, but there weren't, there wasn't enough evidence there. So he's not going to be he, right now, as of right now, there's not going to be any charges pressed against him.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, so what are your thoughts on that?
1: I I, I don't know. It's a criminal matter. So <laughs> I, oh, all right i know crime and politics have been intersecting more lately since trump got elected but <laughs> <it's strictly laughs> political
0: yeah um so uh let's move on so apparently an advisor for hillary clinton is insinuating that she is going to run in 2000 and uh 20
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh yeah a former clinton advisor is saying she will run again in 2020 um Uh, apparently in a, in a journal op-ed, uh, Penn, an advisor, this is what it says from Politico, Penn, an advisor and pollster for the Clintons from 1995 to 2008, uh, uh, and former, uh, New York City politician, uh, Andrew Stein wrote that a 2020, uh, uh, that if, that in a 2020 run, Hillary Clinton would reinvent herself as a liberal firebrand, um, she said the twice failed presidential candidate would not let uh, two stunning, a little thing like two stunning defeats stand in the way of her claim to the White House, they wrote. Um, so, what are your thoughts? Do you think Hillary Clinton is going to run, or do you think they're just speculating? And do you um, think Hillary Clinton should run again? And do you think she'd have a good chance of unseating Trump this time?
1: I mean, I, I think she wants to run, and I think the way they're broaching the subject is letting them test the public's reaction uh and i'm i'm sure the machinations and party deliberations are all gonna <laughs> play out uh my my hope my wish to her is that if she does run uh to just please rely less on party favors and and just really listen to the voters this time and and represent them because that's what democracy is all about um, mm. so i i I come to her candidacy with an open mind because she hasn't messed anything up yet uh, this time around. <laughs> uh, and you know, th- this time we have seen the Trump thing play out, and we saw her warn us in those last debates. Um, so she might feel somewhat vindicated. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I just I I'm open about who runs in 2020 because it's like yeah, anything's possible. Let's let them make the case to the voters and, and let the voters decide.
0: Now, it's been a while since somebody who was the nominee has decided to uh, run again. Yes. That uh, is unusual. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think um, the last time we saw a direct rematch was between Adelaide Stevenson and Dwight Eisenhower. It it happened in 1952. And then uh, uh, Adelaide Stevenson ran again in 1956 against Eisenhower. And both times Eisenhower won by a landslide. Uh obviously because we don't have a president stevenson you don't hear about that in history books and then i think he ran again in 1960 but obviously he lost the nomination to jfk um but then after that kennedy or sorry nixon did it he lost in 1960 he ran again in 68 and won the nomination and then um after that hubert humphrey won in 1968 Uh, or he won the nomination in 1968 and then he ran in 1972 and he didn't get the nomination, but I think after that, it never happened again. I don't, I can't think of anybody else who, uh, ran, got the nomination lost and then ran again. So do you think it would be historically
1: unusual if she did, if Hillary Clinton ran again? Well, it, it would. But I should also mention we're in historically unusual times. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think anybody expected this election result. And I, I think there were extenuating circumstances for her loss. Uh, and, I, you know, we know now that the public was misled uh, about her involvement in the, um, the whole email scandal because, you know, Comey made public the results of an ongoing investigation, which the FBI usually doesn't do. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. It's because when they get to the end of the investigation, they find out you're innocent. It becomes harder to undo the damage of those charges. Uh, So that's the liability that faces Clinton going in is that people still remember that whiff of scandal. Uh, But she was cleared. Um, So, you know, if she wants to do it again, I say more power to her. But I would just beg her to let please don't do the party manipulation game again, because that didn't work out so well. (laughs) Would you support her in the primaries? Probably not. I, I was not her supporter in last time around. Uh, I don't think that. uh, I, I think she has a lot of positive qualities. I, I just don't think that she's someone who can really resonate with voters. Um, and I, that's it, a shame because that's the game that's as it's played today. Uh, and I, I, think she, uh, might make for an exceptional leader. It's just, uh, it's, it's really hard to test that in today's, uh, political environment. Um, and even as I say that, I, I I don't know if I would level the same criticisms at a, at a male candidate. (laughs) Um, So it could be some unconscious sexism on my part that I'm like, wait, we need to test her before she gets into that big office. You know, she's, she's been secretary of state. Um, So yeah, I'm trying to stay open.
0: All right. Why don't we move on to another 2020 uh, thing? So uh, President Swalwell, President Gillibrand, uh, that's uh, the headline this week. Apparently uh, Kirsten uh, Gillibrand uh, is saying she is con- uh, the U S senator from New York who originally said she was going to serve out her six year term is now saying she is considering a, uh, a run for president in 2020 as is Eric Swalwell, the, uh, the congressman from California and, um, If, uh, Swalwell were to run and win, he'd be the youngest, uh, uh, president ever elected. I believe he'd only be about, uh, 38 years or no, he, he, yeah, he'd be about 38 years old. Uh, so at age 38, he'd be the youngest president ever elected. Um, and, um, if Joe Brand was elected, obviously she'd be the first woman president, um, so, uh, what, uh, what are your thoughts on Eric Swalwell? They're both, they're both thinking about running in 2020. What are your thoughts on Swalwell and Gillibrand potentially running? Uh,
1: so G- Gillibrand, I've seen more of on the national stage. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with her. Uh, Eric Swalwell, I don't, I haven't heard that name until today. <laughs> um, I, but... I, you know, you know how I know about
0: him? He, oh, like. Whenever I go on Twitter and I see, like, big tweets from politicians, Uh like, one of the big tweets that always comes up is from Eric Swalwell, and typically it's criticizing Trump or something Trump did.
1: Well, that's good to know, because I I follow Ro Khanna on Facebook, and I think that's the Facebook version of this. So I don't don't know if that makes you presidential material to be uh, social media savvy, Uh, but maybe it helps. I don't know. Uh, People are saying that's the thing about Trump is that he successfully used Twitter. So... uh hey it's a it's a new era um but yeah i don't know anything about eric swallow besides what you're telling me interesting um
0: now if joe brand let's say because for, for the sake of argument joe brand were to run do you think she'd have a better chance of winning uh do you think i have a good chance of winning
1: I, that, that's hard to say i mean I, i've seen her on tv a few times i think she comes across really well uh i think the liability she might have is that she's from new york Uh, And I I think most Americans... Trump is from New York. Sorry? Trump is from New York. He kind of... So that people have this image of Trump as like a self-made millionaire, small million-dollar loan and all that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And he's he's successfully run businesses. Um, Gillibrand, I need to dig more into her background, but uh, my sense is is that she might come across as just too hoity-toity because of her education. Um, and that, that was where Trump was able to make gains, where other politicians didn't, is that he lowered his vocabulary to a fourth grade level and reached out to average voters. I love the poorly educated, he said. Uh, so I need to
0: interrupt you for one second, because there's a big breaking news story that just been, has just been announced. Richard uh-huh? Ojeta has just announced his, uh, his candidacy for President of the United States. Who's Richard that? The guy who <laughs> ran in the, the West Virginia House race. Oh, wow. We were just talking about he, he apparently just about uh, an hour ago announced he's running for president.
1: It, it really is a wide open race. <laughs> That's what I, I was going
0: to ask you next. <laughs> and, and I'll let you finish your point sure. uh, uh, in a minute. But do you think that um, – uh, do, do you think it's going to be a huge race? Do you think it could be? Because the last time we saw with the Republicans is it was just such a huge open field that they had to have two different debates. Yeah, um, so do you think it could be something like that where we see uh, a huge open debate? Because right now, Michael Avenatti <laughs> is saying he wants to get in. Michael Avenatti is all but, a, but announced. Michael Bloomberg is all but announced. We were just talking about Swalwell and Gillibrand. Um, Booker, it's looking like I think Booker is all but announced because Booker just went to the just brought a case before the New Jersey Supreme Court, which he got approved by the way which would allow him to run for both Senate and president at the same time because he's up for re-election in the Senate in 2020.
1: That's kind of a so weak move, by the that? way. Yeah, but... <laughs> why, would
2: he,
0: why would he do that if he wasn't running for president? We were just talking about Hillary Clinton as well. Um, you know, Sherrod Brown, people aren't ruling, ruling that out. And that's not even including the people that have been mentioned the most, like Kamala Harris, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh Elizabeth Warren. Uh so do you think it's gonna be do you think it's gonna be the type of thing where we see like two uh two different debates, like a kitty table debate and a main stage debate?
1: Um, it it's quite possible. I mean I that was one of the things that I was actually disappointed in the Republican Party about, uh, was the I feel like it made me long for the nineteenth century like backroom deals. <laughs> you know it yeah. was narrowed down behind the scenes before the public had a chance to have a say uh, cuz that was just ugly i really hope not for a repeat of that but uh yeah if we have House uh candidates announcing runs then hey you know uh that wow <laughs> yeah. so you think it's going to be and, and tom stoyer might run too
0: so do you think it's it's good or bad for the democrats that uh the idea that there could be all these Democrats running because some people would argue that, oh, it's a good thing because it means there are more voices and you can get the centrist Democrat voice and you can yeah. get the, the really progressive Democrat voice. And other people would argue that it's just going to be a mess if there's yeah. just like 35, like 45 different Democrats, you know, running well, around uh, saying they're running for president. I um
1: it's it's a risk for the democrats i did i did read somewhere that they risk uh losing their shine i guess in the age of trump if among all this infighting um but at the same time i I think that's kind of what modern democracy is about is that we have these discussions and debates out in the open uh and that's how we decide who wins uh so that that's that's how the system is now um (laughs) I, <laughs> it might get ugly again. I don't know. I, I like to think that Democrats would keep the level of debate higher, uh, from what I certainly saw last time around. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll we'll see. It'll be a very interesting race.
0: Yeah. Interesting indeed. Well, why don't we? Uh, and what are your thoughts on Ojeda getting in?
1: Uh, uh who? <laughs> Richard Ojeda. <laughs> Oh, Jetta. I have he, not he heard that the,
0: We were talking about in the West Virginia House race, he lost. He originally he, – he ran as a populist dem- – I think he was a justice Democrat.
1: Oh, but, nice.
0: Okay. But he um, – because he ran in a district that Trump won by not 21 points, not 36 points, not even 42 points, but 50 points. Um, and he made it extremely – he didn't win, but he only lost by like a couple points – and you'd think, oh, well, why would he lose if he's a Justice Democrat? Well, Richard Ojeda essentially said, I'm not going to talk about social issues because <laughs> uh, okay. you know, because West Virginians, typically they tend to side with Republicans on social issues. Um, but I'm just going to talk about fiscal issues. Um, and so he ended up talking about, like, populism and health care and whatnot. Um, and I think – when he did talk about social issues, he would kind of be more centrist on those issues. Like I think he said he was pro coal because everybody in West Virginia loves coal. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so uh, what are your thoughts on him getting in?
1: Uh, I mean, it, I'm a little bit biased because justice Democrats is an offshoot of the original burning campaign. So if anything that progress that happens there, I'm excited about, um, do you think he'll get out if Bernie gets in? Uh, probably not. Um, I I think there's a sense that there's the Democrats are dominated by these older white people, who uh are you know the, the generation coming up is not that. So, <laughs> um, I I think that's one reason why he might want to stay in is, is to provide that alternative voice. I I just googled his name. It's not Ojeda. It's O Ojeda, or Ojeda or something because it, it's Spanish. Uh, and I didn't realize that when you were saying it because I'd never heard the name before. I thought oh, it was Ojeda. It's O J E D A. Oh. So he's, he's a Ojeda. Oh, 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 well, <laughs> in my defense,
0: the the president of the United States also mispronounced his name.
1: There you go. Okay, so that <laughs> that's our president for you. And then, who knows? It's possible because like some families choose to anglicize their names. Maybe he pronounces it Ojeda. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, he, he's got that Hispanic heritage. So I, I, I would imagine that's part of why he's staying in. Yeah. Interesting. Do you think that some Democrats might attack him for, uh,
0: for, uh, like if they're like really establishment Democrats, they might attack him for supporting Cole in the, in the election.
1: I I would not be surprised. Um, and then there, there's a way to handle that. Cause I, you, know, you saw Bernie do it with guns in Vermont. Um, so we'll see how all well that plays out. Well, the, um, reason I,
0: the reason I ask is because during the attorney general's race uh-huh. um, in uh, New York uh, this year, when they had the primary, Zephyr Teachout lost the primary. But Teachout, one of the things they attacked Zephyr Teachout on was she uh, opposed the SAFE Act, which was essentially like one of the toughest gun laws in the country, uh-huh. which was implemented here in New York. And like pretty much a lot of the upstate rural because there are a lot of upstate rural areas which tend to go really Republican in New York. It's just New York is a blue state because of the New York City areas and the Albany areas and the Syracuse areas. Um, But because um, she was running in an upstate district uh, where there were a lot of Republicans, she essentially had to say she was she essentially went out and said, oh, yeah, I think the safe acts terrible. We should get rid of the safe act. Pro gun uh, rights guys, and they uh-huh. tried to attack her about that during the debate.
1: Okay, yeah, See, I mean that,
0: that, that could happen with Ojeda.
1: I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, uh, we, we, climate change is just one of the defining issues of our time. Um, and unfortunately, it doesn't get a lot of airtime, but I, I would imagine in the Democratic primaries it would figure prominently. Um, and I, I I don't see him. I'm sure he's prepared for that. And he'll probably have some kind of answer given the communities he represents. Um, but then, yeah, I, I would hope if he runs on the national stage, he evolves his policy a little bit. <laughs> uh, cause yeah, the national stage, it'll be very different. I don't think he can defend Cole. Uh,
0: so let's uh, move on to, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the next story. Cause I think we've talked about this for a while. Um, is uh, the speaker race, the speaker of the house race? So now that Republicans are in the minority, uh, they must find a new uh, person to uh, appoint as the next speaker of the house. So, and right now, that the task of trying to find a new speaker is underway. Um, so, right now, there are two Republicans that are in the field for, uh, that are trying to run in the field for, um, uh, for that position, uh, essentially trying to run for Speaker. And those two Republicans uh, are Jim Jordan, uh, from a, a representative from Ohio. He's not the chairman of anything, but he's just a U.S. representative that's been in since 2007. And Kevin McCarthy, the House Majority Leader right now. Uh, Right now, it is likely that Kevin McCarthy will defeat Jim Jordan because of his name recognition. He's also been endorsed by Paul Ryan. Um, And, uh, yeah, so it's going to be one of those two. And right now, it's looking like he has the most votes on his side. So right now, the Republican leader in the House will probably be Kevin McCarthy. How do you think the House race... Or how do you think the speaker race is going to go for Republicans this Wednesday?
1: Uh, so I, I assume you mean minority leader. Yeah. Minority. Uh, That's what I said. Well, it's Um, the
0: speaker race because, you know, I guess Pelosi is technically a part of that, but the only reason I didn't mention the Democrats is because, (laughs) is because there haven't been any other Democrats that have announced yet right now. Hakeem Jeffries from New York, uh, he's the co-chairman of the democratic policy and, uh, 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 the uh, um, uh, communications oh, and communications committee, uh, he, Some people think he might run. Some people think Sherry uh, uh, Bustus, the co-chair of the the other co-chair of the Democratic Policy and Communications Committee, might run. Other people say, oh, maybe maybe Steny Hoyer will run, but Steny Hoyer is an old white man. Like he's old. He's not really diverse enough. He's uh, he's like seventy nine. He's had some health issues, but he's the House Minority Whip right now. But I, some people think he might, but it's unlikely because since he's seventy nine and he's not diverse enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, right now, Nancy Pelosi is the only one who's declared, which is why I'm talking about Nancy Pelosi. Um, but how do you think the Minority Leader race is going to go?
1: Um, I. I... That, that Kevin guy sounds like a solid choice. Uh, I, I've McCarthy. seen him. Yeah. I've seen him in the news before. He seems charismatic. Um, I, I think he'll, I, I get the impression he'll be able to unify that, uh, party of cats, I guess. <laughs> um, he ran, he ran in 2015 for speaker, okay. but he lost
0: to Paul Ryan.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. So like, I, I, I think that would make him the safest choice, uh, going forward. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll see what the, the party says and how they take their loss and if they use that to change their calculus. But I, I think Kevin is like your standard average Republican guy. Um, my impression of him anyway. <laughs> yeah.
0: Interesting. Um, all right. So why don't we see? Uh, so uh, I think there's only about one story uh, left. Um, uh, uh, let's see. So, unfor- and this is unfortunately a uh, a, uh, a, very sad story, especially since it's, uh, Veterans Day weekend, or it was Veterans Day weekend. Unfortunately, a Utah mayor was killed in, uh, in combat. He was, uh, an Army National Guard major training commandos in Afghanistan, and he was fatally shot by one of the Afghan... Uh, trainees. Um, his name was, uh, Brett, uh, Brent Taylor. He was 39 years old. He, uh, he took a year long, year long leave of absence as mayor of North, a- Ajin, uh, which is, uh, nor- about North of Salt Lake city. Uh, and he did this, uh, to be deployed in Afghanistan uh, people honored him this weekend with a uh, a giant four hundred pound American flag, which they waved across Veterans Day weekend in his service uh, or in his honor. Uh, very very sad news. What are your what you wh- what's your take
1: on this? Uh, I'm I'm curious why. <laughs> Sorry, a car passing by. Uh, i i'm curious uh why there's so much attention for this one person i, I haven 't heard his name before um-
0: well, cause which, he i think he was uh well he was a mayor he was a mayor he was
1: okay so he was probably well liked in the community he was yeah
0: he was well liked in the community he was a popular okay. mayor there um so yeah I mean, it, it's also unusual it's it's very unusual to see uh, somebody who's the the sitting mayor of any like even if it's a small like little town you know get deployed and then eventually get killed in combat
1: yeah I, well i mean it, it, it <laughs> i i don't want to sound callous but that that's kind of what happens when you when you serve in war zones uh it, it's you don't necessarily get special treatment especially when you're Uh, But I I admire his sacrifice, certainly, because he could have just sat there and gone on being comfortable. Um, My mind also goes to, though, uh, the uh, observance of the 100th anniversary of Armistice Day in Europe that happened, uh, and the speech that French President Emmanuel Macron gave there with uh, Donald Trump in attendance. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think that is... uh, that's been weighing heavily on me lately. Uh, He challenged Donald Trump's vision of nationalism very directly and he used history to do it. Um, And I I only mention that because I I feel like Veterans Day has kind of led us down this nationalistic path of like celebrating uh, military accomplishments. And I, I think as a country, we need to strive for something higher than that I don't mean to denigrate military service in the least. It's it's one of the most admirable acts you can undertake. Um, but it, it, I I heard Emmanuel Macron call uh, for us to recommit ourselves to peace and the advancement towards science and progress uh, to solve the world's problems. And do I, I you, don't I don't hear that in America. <laughs> do, you, uh, <laughs> do you think that? Uh there's
0: uh anything we can do though to uh, to honor the veterans and to honor the, the 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 armistice
1: uh so i i I want to honor uh veterans but i I feel like we should change the name back to armistice day because i I think the hope is that we'll have fewer veterans to honor in the future uh and i that's the best way I can put it i I but feel... what about
0: veterans from, from past wars, like Vietnam and World War II? I know,
1: so uh, I'm, I'm going to say something really unkind right now, <laughs> because it just came to mind. Uh, it, it's a participation medal, you know, to say that, oh, thank you for your service. What did you do? You know, uh, Memorial Day was there before Veterans Day, and it's because you, you paid the ultimate sacrifice, right? You gave your life for your country. If you were just there, I, I, I mean, yeah, okay, cool. i'm I'm taking a page from donald trump here right like but what what if they
0: like they they'll they'll still make the argument that if you served in let's say world war ii you still served your country you know you still like even if you
1: you did and you you get benefits for that you get thanked by your country in other ways uh and you know thank you thank you to everyone who has served i I honestly mean that i I just think in terms of the national holiday i I do think we should reconsider putting it back to armistice day because i think the point is to end wars and and have fewer
0: of them but do you you think that we should still do you think do you think we should still honor veterans on veterans day though or do you think there's any way we can i
1: I think we can honor veterans on armistice day it's been veterans day for a large part of our history and i wouldn't want to ignore that i just think uh when we go around celebrating the holiday i I think we should keep the armistice in mind because that is the reason for the season to borrow a page from uh evangelical christians there <laughs> it honors the end of world war one on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month was when that armistice was signed and the world at that point committed to ending war entirely they failed with world war ii but they tried again with the united nations and that's what emmanuel macron reminded donald trump of in that speech
0: was uh you mean in regards to nationalism
1: yes uh so the the league of nations was the first attempt to try to cure the world of that disease uh, it came back with Hitler, and we tried again with the United Nations, and that's our current attempt to deal with that. And uh, we had kind of forgotten about that.
0: Okay, you, 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 now you say it, it's 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 about nationalism, and, and that that's that's kind of, um, you know, it's kind of bad. But do you think outside of nationalism, like, because many people argue that okay, well, making it about just about the veterans isn't exactly you know about nationalism do you do you agree with that or
1: i i don't because i i think the main motivator to go into the military is nationalism um I, you know the fact that the guy was honored with a giant american flag you know we invest our national pride in this effort uh and that that's what makes the sacrifice seem worth it even when the goals of the war can be very questionable and i think it blinds us to so that reality unfortunately um i I don't say this uh I'm not happy to say this. I say this with a heavy heart, but uh, I think it needs to be said um,
0: all right um i I'm trying to remember what I was going to say next um, okay, I forgot I forgot what I was going to say.
1: Sorry about that. No, <laughs> Got a sorry. Little deep there, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, so is there anything else you want to you want to say on that issue, or? Um, oh, yeah. I, I I I remember what my question was going to be. Okay. So um, so some people would make the argument that it wasn't, it may not be about nationalism. It might be because of voluntarism, because people would make the argument that, okay, let's say in World War II, for example, people people, I mean, the world was essentially falling apart. Yeah. Um, you know, you had Hitler. It, it, it wasn't just about, you know, protecting America. It was about protecting, uh, you know, other countries and whatnot. Um, uh, and people would say that that might have something to do more with a voluntaristic, you know, <laughs> side, well, side. Because people would uh, say that, you know, oh, this person's doing all that. Why can't I do that? So do you i agree I would with, disagree with that with or you. no?
1: I would disabuse you of that notion very thoroughly because during World War II and up until Vietnam, we did not have a volunteer military. We had a draft. You were forced to serve. Uh, so now we have an all-volunteer military, and I think that's part of the problem is that the rest of the country doesn't really feel the consequences and the sacrifice involved in war. So whenever the president pushes that button, you know, we're, we're totally disconnected from that process. Um, what,
0: what about those that didn't volunteer? What, what are those that volunteered without having to be drafted? Because there were a lot uh, of people during World War II that came out and said, you know, because they'll make the argument that some people in World War II came out and, and because they thought that they wanted to do something right for the world uh, or they wanted, they wanted to help out in some
1: way. Um, well, I, I know that happened after 9-11, and I will tell you a lot of the people who entered the military that way didn't leave the military feeling that way. And the war is very different uh than the kind of video game movie fantasy we have of it um Mm -hmm. so that i i'll point back to in history we had jfk start the peace corps right because you can have this concept of national service without the war aspect of it (laughs) you're helping your country by doing good things for other people
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, and
1: we've kind of lost our sight of that it's become americorps and now we have republicans questioning well why do we have foreign aid And, you know, this is why it's because we were supposed to be sowing the seeds of peace to last for a generation. And I'm now seeing that harvest go sour.
0: All right. Uh, Is there anything else you want
1: to say on this issue? I I think I've said everything at this point. I, I appreciate the discussion.
0: All right. Well, thank you again. I think that's about all the stories we have. Thank you again for joining me, Omar. Why don't you tell people, for those who are new, to this program why don't you tell people where they can find you on social media and uh, about, about your podcast
1: sure uh so i run a uh, facebook and twitter feed You called political window uh it's p-o-l-w-n-d-w and uh, i i also have an instagram page now so i'm getting a little bit fancier uh and yeah uh, feel free to throw a like or a click follow
0: all right thank you again for joining me have a good day
1: thanks you too bye, bye.